The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I don't believe we'll ever have a fair election again. If not for the Senate Leadership Fund, Mitch McConnell's group, most of these campaigns in Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, they wouldn't have any money at all. He should be called out on this. The rhetoric is unacceptable. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I have no, no idea, but it is a flight out lie. And uh, and now you know how important this seat is. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The FBI says Russia is at it again. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with word from the agency that foreign actors are using social media to stoke mistrust in the electoral process. And Vladimir Putin is the most aggressive among them. Sound familiar? We'll talk with social media expert Jeffrey Blevin from the University of Cincinnati and with Jamil Jaffer, director of the National Security Institute. Later, the Biden administration sending another weapons shipment to Ukraine. Hundreds of millions of dollars worth this time. We'll talk with retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett. And the GOP stands by Herschel Walker after the Senate candidate is accused of paying for a girlfriend's abortion. We'll discuss with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. So... Was Donald Trump onto something when he spoke last weekend at the big rally in Warren, Michigan? But I'm afraid we have never had, we, and I don't believe, I don't believe we'll ever have a fair election again. Ever? I don't believe it. That's what he said, creating more doubt in the system. And so the headline just kind of jumped off the terminal this morning. FBI sees Putin's hand in sowing division about U.S. midterm voting. Bloomberg News reporting foreign actors are using social media to aggravate divisions within the U.S. and trust in the electoral process. Russia is the poster child, the most aggressive, as we see the hand of Vladimir Putin again. But the FBI says the Chinese government is watching and learning how to exploit rifts in the U.S. And on this day that Elon Musk revives his bid for Twitter, there is a serious conversation happening about foreign interference on social media. We're going to explore it with some important voices today, beginning with Jeffrey Blevins, professor in the Department of Journalism and School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Cincinnati. He's with us now. Professor, welcome. You're a social media expert. And so I wonder, what did we learn, if anything, in the 2016 election that might help us now? Well, it's very hard to battle disinformation. And social media companies are really playing whack-a-mole. So, you know, disinformation is is put out there. And in 2016, it was primarily done through uh, bots, you know, these Mm -hmm. automated fake uh, accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is once you remove those accounts, the disinformation has already been sown. And so now you have real users who are believing and retweeting and reposting uh, those claims. And that is a much harder problem uh, to deal with. I find it fascinating that the the FBI doesn't see 
foreign actors like Russia as needing to create divisive content like we saw in 2016 in the presidential election. Instead, they're leveraging existing content. There's already stuff out there. They just have <laughs> right. to go and amplify it. Is that what's exactly. changing? Exactly. You know, maybe plant the seed. But as you pointed out, we also have some homegrown actors who do that. You know, yeah. QAnon, uh, right. you know, uh, for instance, or you might have, uh, you know, politicians uh, that, that do that. And it, it's, you know, just simply by focusing on Russia where it starts, the most significant actors are really what we call bridge actors, uh, ones hmm. that amplify and retweet uh, those uh, those claims. And when you describe whack-a-mole, you know, to what extent are the Facebooks, Twitters, Instagrams, I'm assuming it's the first two, really, maybe TikTok also. Uh, right. And that's got a whole different connotation being owned by the Chinese. But for Twitter and Facebook, do they know this before we do? Uh, maybe just a little bit before. But I think that's the, really the problem because – you know, the great thing about social media is that it's immediate. You, you post something, it goes out, right? Um, if we were going to make social media companies truly responsible for you know, verifying the accuracy of every single claim that's made, well, it's no longer an immediate mass medium. You know, they're going to have to filter you through that and, you know, before making decisions about whether something or not goes, along, goes live. So you really change you know, the, the, the nature of, of what social media is when you do that. So instead, you, know, you look for these kind of behaviors that are suspect, you know, like someone who claims to be a school teacher and they have like 40 or 50,000 followers. Okay, well, that's inordinate. That looks like uh, a bot account. Mm-hmm. How worried are you when you see the Chinese digging into this type of strategy, taking a page from Russia? Well, yeah, it, you know, we have it coming, you know, at us on on all sides. Uh, but you know, again, I think it's more about how we deal with it individually. Hmm. Um, you know, other than you know trying to change the nature of, of of social media, I think we have to be more educated consumers of social media. And this is where I think media literacy has a role to play. I mean, at what point, you know, is the audience responsible for the information that they consume and go, wait a minute, that sounds suspect. Maybe I should try to, you know, to, to verify that or mm -hmm. simply look at who is making those those claims and then questioning the, the veracity based on the source. Unless, of course, people are looking for that content with that political <laughs> angle. Right. And, you know, well, we've already lost in that case. But enter Elon Musk. Professor Blevins, realizing this is speculative, what you have learned about Elon Musk and, and the, the power and influence of Twitter, the idea of adjusting the algorithm, of, of getting rid of the bots, does this make it a, a, a more of a, an accessible weapon for foreign actors or less of one? You know, there's certainly a lot that remains to be seen, and some of it good and some of it bad. So coming back to, you know, originally when Musk put in his bid to buy uh, Twitter or to, uh, to acquire Twitter, you know, he you know, claimed that he wanted to you know, get rid of, uh, of, of, of these bots, right, and that he was going to make you know, algorithms uh, transparent. However, when he was trying to back out of the deal, it was more that, well, bots might inflate you know, the value unfairly yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of Twitter. Uh, but, of course, you know, there's business reasons why you may not want to do that. Twitter was loath to uh, deal with this in 2015 when they became 
aware of this, you know, horde of, 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 of bot accounts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that a genuine interest in, in his or not? At the same time, you have to wonder, you know, um, what kind of political influence that um, that Musk might, you know, exert over uh, Twitter is, as well. Uh, he couldn't have been too happy uh, about the poll he posted on his own Twitter account, uh, <laughs> suggesting that, oh, the Ukraine just, you know, let uh, Russia annex Crimea and, you know, therefore, you know, we can be out of this, this war. Well, you know, clearly that was a stance that was favorable to, um, you know, to, to, to Russia. Yeah. But, you know, um, how would he deal with that personally if there is content out there that doesn't align uh, with, with his beliefs? Yeah, another claim that he's made, and I, I, I don't know that this gets us to the real problem, um, you know, even if his concern is, let's say, you know, foreign actors, well, as we were just discussing, we have plenty of homegrown. And well, what do you do with politicians and celebrities uh, right. when they're the ones that are spreading uh, disinformation? Especially when they um, become one, as in Donald Trump. <laughs> And that's the exactly. expectation, right? If Elon Musk gets this thing uh, once and for all, this deal closes. Donald Trump's going back on Twitter. That would be seem, would appear to be the case. Uh, He's been posting QAnon content on uh, Truth Social lately, so I can only assume that's coming next. Right. Well, he posted uh, QAnon-based content when he had a Twitter account uh, yeah. as 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 well. Oh my God. <laughs> He's the author of the forthcoming book, Social Media, Social Justice, and the Political Economy of Online Networks. I can't wait to read it. Professor Jeffrey Blevins, I thank you for getting the ball rolling with us here in great analysis and background from the University of Cincinnati. We add another layer. This is a new media story. It's also an election security story. And we add the voice of Jamil Jaffer now. Founder and executive director of the National Security Institute. Jamil, thank you for being with us. Does this feel like a dress rehearsal for 2024? Well, certainly I think, uh, you know, there's a real possibility that some of the work that's happening here um, in these uh, congressional elections could be utilized. And the information that these foreign adversaries uh, gather from how we respond to their efforts to conduct misinformation, disinformation may very well be used in the 2024 uh, presidential elections. So what should we be doing now? You know, when you see a story like this, like history repeating itself, I realize that you can only bring the CEOs of social media companies before Congress for so many hearings. Does the government have to step in? Well, you know, Joe, I think one of the keys here is how to figure out how we reconcile as a nation um, our interest in free speech um, and the, uh, you know, we want to make sure that people have the ability to express their political views but also ensuring that it's not foreign adversaries that are interfering in our elections, uh, either creating new narratives uh, like we've seen the the, the Russian government do um, or amplifying uh, American narratives um, and modifying them as we see the Chinese uh, have done historically. And we yeah. see the Chinese now be, uh, adopting some of this Russian behavior of also creating new narratives. So how do we avoid foreign interference while allowing Americans to have their voices and, and take place in that in the public square of discussion? Do you have an answer? Because th- this is protected content. It's constitutionally protected. It's it's free speech, unless, of course, you're from another country. That's exactly right. And so uh, the question is, how do we assess whether you know the folks that are that are that are engaged in this activity are foreign adversaries um, or are uh, or are Americans engaged in free speech? And figuring that out is a hard thing. Uh, mm-hmm. The government's not good at it. 
the private sector companies are trying to do it. They're not good at it either. They're getting better. The government's getting better. I think the government industry collaborating together, understanding better uh, where the foreign threat actors are coming from. You know, the government has a lot of information they collect overseas on what foreign adversaries are doing. They need to be able to share that with the private sector. Then the private sector needs to take action on their own platforms. And the reason why it makes sense for them to do this on their own platforms and the government not to get involved mm -hmm. is because at the end of the day, these are private fora. In a lot of ways, they do look like the public square, you know, the, the open park. But of sure. course, the government has no real jurisdiction, nor necessarily do we think they should have jurisdiction over private, uh, you know, fora where uh, it's not owned or operated by the government. So how can they be compelled then to really, you know, to really police this type of content when we know they're selling ads against it in many cases and every quarter they have to impress shareholders with growth? Well, you know, I mean, this is one of the hard questions. I think we've seen these platforms try to do the right thing. We've seen them uh, take action to take down uh, inauthentic, coordinated behavior yeah. of the kind your earlier guest was speaking about. Uh, but, of course, that's gotten them into trouble, too, because at times they've gotten it wrong. Uh, they've suppressed uh, what folks view as certain kinds of speech because uh, they believe they have certain biases or the like. And so you have this reaction where the companies are, you know, trying like, you know, like that Harry Potter uh, house self. They're trying to do the right thing, uh, but they keep getting getting it wrong a little bit and then they keep getting punished for it. <laughs> yeah. um, at the same time, right, there are concerns, legitimate concerns that they, in fact, are trying to suppress certain kinds of speech. And how do you balance those two things? I think at the end of the day, what we have to do is we have to believe that these, uh, we have to trust these private companies are trying to do the right thing. And we've got to police them to make sure they are. And when they're not doing the right thing, uh, we're calling that out. But at the end of the day, it's more important that we prevent these foreign adversaries uh, from interfering in our elections and our political debate yeah. uh, than uh, we sort of, you know, then, then we, what we believe is censorship that may or may not be censorship. Threats to our electoral system can take on a lot of different forms. They are not all on social media. And in terms of the domestic uh, front here, we'll jump off that, uh, Jamil, because the FBI is tracking threats to election workers as well. This is a different part of the story. This is not Russia working. This is all internal. They've investigated more than a thousand of these threats since June of 21, leading to four arrests so far, four out of a thousand According to the FBI, more than half of them, 60 percent, were in states where conspiracy theories over the 2020 election results were highest. Arizona, Georgia and Michigan. Is that an easier or more difficult threat to combat? Well, I think it's a challenge, right? Because, of course, you, what you do not want is you do not want anybody threatening election workers. These are people, you know, oftentimes senior citizens who are who are taking their own personal time and giving it to the American polity to help our elections go better. Right? These are not people who are doing it out of partisan loyalties. Typically, they're typically doing it because they want elections to function the way that we've always uh, thought they should. Yeah. Um, and so threats against these workers is really in a lot of ways, it's it's almost un-American, right? It's of one thing if you have is. a beef about 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 candidates, right, or you have a concern the elections are not fair. But the election workers are very rarely, you know, part of that process. You have these these partisan poll workers who are there who are monitoring it for partisan purposes. But more yeah, often than not, different. these poll workers who are there are right. Are, it's different, exactly. They're there to try and just get the election done and get it done right. And so threatening them to me is is is. It was completely inappropriate. I think the Justice Department is doing the right thing by investigating these things um, and prosecuting them where appropriate. And for me, you know, when it's a 
thousand investigations and only four arrests. That tells me the Justice Department is being very careful and being precise and not going after people who are not actually engaged in threats, but are really being precise and going after the right people. Um, and ultimately, this will turn on the question of whether they get convictions or not in those yeah, four cases. That's, that's right. Four cases. I mean, my gosh, I. You like to think out of a thousand of, of these threats that there might be four cases to talk about between now and, say, 2024. I just wonder how busy the FBI is going to be online and offline dealing with with old fashioned threats like this for the next two years, Jamil. Well, Joe, you know, look, I mean, I think the important thing that we all need to remember as Americans is that elections and democracy are at the core of how we protect that thing that's really important about America, which is our freedom. And if we don't have free and fair elections, right, then we don't maintain our freedom. And the way to get there is not by attacking the system, not by attacking poll workers, right? But it's saying, look, we got to have free and fair elections. And that's done. We have good candidates in the race. We get their views out there publicly. We debate the issues honestly, not from a purely partisan perspective or a conspiracy theory perspective. And then we trust that our elections are getting done right. And we protect the law enforcement institutions, the FBI, the Justice Department that are trying to enforce those laws. And we not undermine our law enforcement, our Justice Department or our election systems. We protect them and preserve them. It's fair to be critical. It's not fair to undermine them through right. conspiracy theories. Right. Thank you, Jamil. This is why we wanted to have you. Jamil Jaffer, founder, executive director of the National Security Institute. I thank you for your insights today. It's This is important stuff. And I'll point you back to the terminal. FBI sees Putin's hand in sowing division about U.S. midterm voting. Read a great piece of journalism by Chris Strom in our D.C. Bureau. This is coming straight from the FBI. You are not going to hear two conversations like that without a commercial break anywhere else today, which is what we're proud to do here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We're going to assemble the panel next. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Elon Musk back in the game and everybody's gaming out on Twitter what it's going to mean for the digital public square. Reminding, of course, as I believe Jamil did, that that is a, well, you're listening to Bloomberg, you know this, a private company, publicly traded, but not anything public or government about it. Uh, even though some have suggested it become a nonprofit and these different ideas uh, let's get into it with the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel. As we see uh, this disturbing headline here, we know that it's happening. And I wonder, Jeannie, if you're as concerned as many Democrats are about Elon Musk potentially making this situation worse. I think it's an absolute possibility. I mean, if this deal goes forward, you're hearing in some cases, I think it's a little soon, but it could be as soon as Friday. And he has promised to get Donald Trump back on Twitter. And, you know, he usually does what he says he's going to do. So I think yeah. if this deal goes through, Trump could be back on Twitter. Um, but it's it's not just Trump. And there's an awful lot of work to do on Twitter. We'll have to see where that goes. But, you know, Pew Research says 18% of Americans today rely solely and exclusively on social media for their news, oh, and gosh. that number will increase. I deal with young people every day. They spend yeah. a lot of time on social media. 
So if one out of five Americans at this point is relying on social media, it's going to increase, which means the opportunity for these groups, whether they're domestic or foreign, as you were just talking about, to spread false information is growing rapidly. And our elections and our other institutions are at risk. I think there's a place for the government to get in in terms of regulation, but a lot has to be done that hasn't been done since, you know, social media, you know, yeah. erupted several years ago. We've fallen really, really behind, in especially with Europe. It's evolved so quickly, uh, Rick Davis. Uh, it just to me, it doesn't feel like anything really has changed since 2016. What are we capable of preventing now that we weren't then? Uh, from what it sounds like, very little. Nothing. Um, uh, and, and it's one of these things where no matter what you do, there's always going to be enterprising, smart technologists who find a way around it and create something new. I mean, who would have thought, uh, you know, when Twitter was first you know, taken in public and, and started attracting so much attention that it mm -hmm. would be used for these kinds of purposes? And so, look, I think this is one of the things that, that regulators have a particularly difficult uh, 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 challenge to meet, and that is... How do you set up the laws of the future, not looking backwards? We know that the Supreme Court's just taken up two new um, uh, cases related to Section 230 right. uh, that protects these Internet companies like Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and the question is, you know, is that really the framework, uh, an old publisher carve out, uh, that the future of the Internet and, and, and the policing of it based on trying to find more fact and fiction and protecting our elections and all the things you were just talking about, you know, what's the law that in the future? Uh, Donald Trump wanted to go after Twitter um, <laughs> and repeal their Section 230. So right. it'll be interesting to see if he gets invited in exactly what happens. I, yeah. th I think all of this puts it in play. The the Twitter fight that's going on right now, uh, putting it into Musk's hands as a private individual, is just going to exacerbate calls for reform. That's for sure. What does it say about us at this time, Jeannie? When the FBI says foreign actors no longer need to create divisive content, they simply use our words against us. It's a different game than it was now in 2016. It is, and it feels like, you know, your guest used the word whack-a-mole. It feels like mm -hmm. the government and we as a society are, are constantly playing catch-up. But there are really smart people out there with really good ideas about things that can be done to address this. I mean, look at how the U.K. has passed the online harms bill. Look at what the EU has done with the GDP. GDPR. Those are good ideas that we can build on. States have begun to do things like this. Yeah. We can stop with the immunity to these internet uh, platforms. We can take steps at the federal, state, and local level to improve this entire information ecosystem. I always tell people there's a reason that the press is the only private institution mentioned in our Constitution. It's that critical to democratic systems. So we have to protect it, and that includes not just traditional media, but social media more importantly today and uh, just old-fashioned offline uh, attempts to interfere rick we talked briefly about these threats to election workers only four arrests out of a thousand complaints so far does the fbi need to do more you know i do think uh, uh running a campaign about why this is wrong and why it uh hurts our democracy and yeah. how inappropriate it is in in our culture is is something the fbi who still has a lot of credibility amongst the public uh, could really do that would help its uh, uh, law enforcement, but also uh, uh, give some more power back to the people who are actually in these jobs. It's a great thought. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel, Now You Know Why. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we turn to the fight in Ukraine and another package of weapons on the way. This is Bloomberg. 
The Biden administration sends another $630 million in weapons and military gear to Ukraine. Press Secretary at the White House, Karine Jean-Pierre. This security assistance package is the 22nd utilization of presidential presidential drawdown authorities for Ukraine by the Biden administration. Today's package includes four HIMARS, 32 howitzers, 200 mine-resistant vehicles, and hundreds of thousands of rounds of artillery and mortar ammunition. This, of course, following recent advances by Ukraine against Russia. We want to start with that shopping list as we're joined by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett. General, welcome back to Bloomberg. Hey, Joe. The administration says another weapons package is heading to Ukraine, and it includes four HIMARS among a number of different items. Will they make a difference? What will make a difference is the ammunition, the rockets that we use inside of the HIMARS. Uh, Hopefully we've got enough ammunition for them, um, and if we do, I think it will make a difference in the close fight, but I'm not sure really in the deep fight against their weapons and logistics dumps that will make much of a difference unless we get them a significant amount of ammunition. I know it's difficult to tell the status of the Russian army uh, from here, but as Vladimir Putin is apparently on his heels at the moment and waiting to conscript people from prisons and other places, is it possible, General, that the Russian army could collapse sooner than experts think? Oh, I wish that were the case. I don't think so. The Russian army has always been a collection of conscripts and thugs, but this is also the army that won uh, the Second World War. So I think as long as he continues to pour troops in in very large numbers, he will have enough troops, even if he needs to be at a five-to-one advantage, he can provide that. Well, with that said, winter is coming, and I wonder if you can explain the significance of this season to our listeners because time is running out it's a couple of things Uh, it's a significant amount of mud rain and freezing uh, that happens on the grounds inside of ukraine it's just like we see in our own country it's hard to move those mechanized vehicles it's hard to move the artillery pieces it slows the fight down considerably and uh, that could be an advantage to Ukrainians if they, the Ukrainians, that they decide to fight hard during that season. Uh-huh. But it's really not what we consider the fighting season uh, compared to when the ground is soft, uh, the air is uh, warm, and uh, the troops are a little more motivated to fight during that time period. Understood. So gains that are made in the next two months, then, are going to be significant as, as they're likely to be frozen literally and figuratively for a couple of months after that as we go into the new year. Yeah, I'm, I'm less concerned about the weather and more concerned about the logistics that the Ukrainians themselves have. We've gone through an awful lot of food, fuel, uh, repair parts. I don't think we have a good appreciation for the amount of vehicles that the Ukrainians have themselves lost. So we'll have to see. I think they have at this point run into what we call a culminating point, uh, which means the large offensive they have uh, will be hard to continue. They may have to rest and refit before one final offensive when the weather gets bad, but I think we'll wait and see. But they cannot continue this pace they've made for the last six weeks. We've heard messages from Russia and, of course, going back to last week, the annexation votes that took place now. A Russian official is warning the U.S. that it's escalating military assistance to Ukraine risks triggering a direct conflict between Russia 
and NATO. As we consider the possibility of Russia responding to an attack on its territory, since it says that it's Russian territory, are you more concerned now about this escalating for the United States than you were a couple of months ago? Oh, I I very much do. I think that there is a chance of going into an escalatory cycle. Uh, the, The Ukrainians do not seem to have it, have not seemed to have taken an appetite suppressant for what they're requiring. Uh, they keep asking for more. They keep asking for better. They keep asking for longer range. Uh, at some point, the Russians are going to say, who are we really fighting here? Are we fighting the Ukrainians or are we fighting the West? And when Putin's back is against the wall, I'm sure his military commanders are saying, we need to escalate as well. And I'm concerned that that could potentially trip into the tactical nuclear weapon field. General Mark Kimmett, retired Brigadier General, former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs. It's great to have you back, sir, and we appreciate your insights. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot. As we prepare to reassemble the panel, I should note that the president, President Biden, did speak about this latest weapons package with uh, President Zelensky today, a phone call that included Vice President Kamala Harris, who also condemned Russia's move to annex parts of eastern and southern Ukraine. President Biden promising the U.S. would, quote, impose severe costs, unquote, on any person or entity that supports the move. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are back with us uh, to take a quick swing at this story as one of President Zelensky's closest aides, Rick, says that the war will probably be over in months. There are so many different opinions on this. Do you tend to believe what the Ukrainians are saying since we were wrong at the beginning? Well, um, I certainly think they are the ones who you want to at least believe most. Um, they, they are on the ground. They're seeing the deterioration of the Russian forces. They're mm-hmm. seeing the health and well-being of their own forces. Um, you know, they understand the pinch points of getting um, uh, this war waged on the front. But look, I mean, I think we have to respect what General Kimmett was just saying, which is don't underestimate even a failing Russian army yeah. to throw more equipment, more personnel into the breach and, and prolong this. Um, so, look, you, it would be great news if, if this could be done, uh, you know, this winter. Uh, but I think most of the people we uh, heard from earlier this year were talking about this uh, war waging on for some time to come. Yes, right. Obviously, you know, the Ukrainians are outperforming anybody's expectations, and we can only hope that they continue to be successful. When are we going to run into a wall on on these weapon shipments, Jeannie? This has come up a lot of times. We didn't send the MiGs because we didn't want to escalate. Now Russia says you keep this going, and this is going to turn into a direct conflict with Russia and NATO. Yeah, exactly what General Kimmett ended on, and I think it's a very important point. We haven't had a real robust conversation in this country and in the West about what do we do Mm -hmm. if this escalation occurs, and it very well could occur to his point. Stay with us on Bloomberg Sound On. Rick and Jeannie come back as we turn to the midterms. And look at this, an October surprise. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Herschel Walker is now threatening to sue the Daily Beast. After the site reported the Georgia Senate candidate once paid for a girlfriend's abortion. This goes back 13 years. And ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the 4th of October with a genuine October surprise. Whether it makes a difference is a very different question. Now, remember that this race in Georgia, Herschel Walker, Reverend Warnock, they're within a point right now, within a percentage point, according to the real clear poll of polls. It's a must win for control of the Senate. As we hear from the Daily Beast, not only was this an accusation, but there's a $700 check that was sent, a get well card, and the woman who has not been identified by the Daily Beast has a receipt from the procedure. Uh, Quick to deny this in a written statement, Herschel Walker but also went further. They put him on TV within hours of this. His statement reads simply, quote, I deny this in the strongest possible terms, unquote. Herschel Walker appears on the Hannity program on Fox News to talk this out. Hannity starts by asking him if he knows this woman, if he remembers this woman who's made the accusation. I have no, no idea, but it is a flat out lie. And uh, and now you know how important this seat is. This seat is very important that they'll do anything to win this seat, lie, because they want to make it by everything else except what the true problems that we have in this country is. Okay. Didn't necessarily say a lot there, but I guess we understand he, he said it's a lie. Not sure if he knows this woman or knew who this came from. This is, again, 13 years ago when they're saying this happened. Okay. Did you write the check, the $700 check? That was pictured in the story. Well, I, I send money to a lot of people, and that's what's so funny. And, and let's go back to my part. You know, I, I do scholarship for kids. I give money to people all the time because I'm always helping people because I believe in being generous. God has blessed me, and I want to bless others. Now, we have to listen to the words that are being spoken here. He did not deny writing the check there, right? Now, how about the card, the get well card? Did you send the get well card? And Hannity asked him, is that they've got it open? The picture of the card's open. Is that your signature in the card? Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but, you know, I can tell you, uh, I send out so many get well, uh, send out so much of anything. But I can tell you right now, I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion, and it's a lie. And I'm going to continue to fight. You know, I tell you, that's what they want. They want this seat. But right now, they've energized me even more. Interesting language again there. I never asked anyone to get an abortion which he was technically not accused of. And I never paid for anyone to have an abortion. That $700 could have been sent after the fact, right? We're just trying to actually parse the words. The GOP is standing behind Herschel Walker all in. As I read on the terminal, GOP stands by Walker as he denies paying for abortion. The National Republican Senatorial Committee out with a statement. Chair Rick Scott, this is just like the smears they attempted against Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas, he writes, and it will not work. Herschel has denied these allegations, and the NRSC and Republicans stand with him, and Georgians will stand with him, too. Donald Trump issued a statement as well. Herschel Walker being slandered, maligned by fake news media, obviously the Democrats. He goes, 
it, you can tell this was dictated. Uh, it's very important for our country, the great state of Georgia, that Herschel Walker wins this election, Donald Trump writes, with all that Herschel has accomplished. When you come from Georgia and you see the name Herschel Walker when voting, it will be very hard to resist. Don't. Had to unwind that for a second. Enter Herschel Walker's son. I mean, this really, we've been around the world already today. Christian Walker takes to Twitter and he wrote his own tweet. It says, I've stayed silent for nearly two years as my whole life has been lied about publicly. I did one campaign event, then said I didn't want involvement. That refers to his appearance at Mar-a-Lago with his dad. Don't you dare test my authenticity. And he put a video together. I was silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Okay. We're not, though. Because we have five weeks to go, and we reassemble the panel to talk it out. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Aren't you glad you showed up for work today, guys? What are you thinking about this, Rick? Damage control. Or does it even matter? People saw this and they thought Access Hollywood tape didn't even make a dent, really. Well, uh, Access Hollywood tape or not, uh, this is not the kind of campaign day, if you're Herschel Walker, you want to have. No, and, I'm sure. And he's going to spend time talking about this instead of beating up his opponent on inflation, which is what he wants to do. And so uh, the question is, uh, does he... Uh, right his ship and stop talking about this before the end of the week, or is it still in the next week? And, you know, what does uh, his son Christian Walker continue to say on Twitter mm -hmm. that could elevate this? And uh, so, look, I mean, it's, it's a really bad day for him. That being said, he's had a, a great summer. And, you know, from anybody's stretch of the imagination, he's overperforming, um, you know, for uh, a first-time candidate in a in a in a tough election, so um, I think this is going to be one of the most hotly watched races in the country. Uh, Mitch McConnell needs this race to become majority leader, yeah. and he's certainly pouring significant amounts of money into the state to do it. And they're not likely to walk away from this because then he'd be walking away from his majority leader that, status. That's the Senate, right? So, the, and you just—that's really important, Rick. Not only is he endorsed by Donald Trump, who's clearly defending him, but the leadership, Mitch McConnell, as I just read, Rick Scott, you've got everyone behind Herschel Walker from this party. Jeannie, what do you make of that as a Democrat? And can you beat a reverend when you're being accused of something like this? And by the way, it's not what was done as much as knowing that he was uh, an anti-abortion activist and was ready to sign on to Lindsey Graham's bill. Yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects of this. This is a horrific day for the Republicans because let's not forget, they are on the brink, it looks likely, of losing Pennsylvania. That means they've got to win one of these blue states. As Arizona and New Hampshire slip away, it's Georgia and Nevada. And it's looking like this is a repeat of 2020 all over again with Donald Trump's handprint on it. Georgia looks like it is moving in the wrong direction. Rick's right. He had a pretty good to end of the summer, but it is all sort of blown up. And I think the sun's taping of those statements, and we don't know how much more Christian Walker has to come out and say incredibly damaging. The GOP has no choice except to accept this. There's five weeks to go. They can't do anything if he stays in this race. They've got to stay with him. So this is where we are. 
And Democrats, I think, are doing the right thing. They're not saying too much. I thought Warnock's reaction to this was spot on. He basically said, I'll let the pundits talk about this. I support a woman's right to choose, keep the government out of their bedrooms and out of their health care. And the hypocrisy of this is that Herschel Walker has a no exceptions view on abortion. No exception for the health of the woman. No exception in the case of rape or incest. That's where he stands. And his defense last night and so far has been incredibly weak. Rick, would you put him on TV a couple hours after this came out, like what happened last night? Uh, probably not. Um, you know, it's not the kind of thing you want to try to elevate. Uh, it's, I wouldn't it's, have had any cuts to play if he hadn't done that. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, you should have, <laughs> still would have had a, a really incredible uh, That's true. Uh, Twitter uh, account for Christian Walker. But uh, the, the bottom line is, if you know, it's, he's well known on his positions. He's not going to do anything but sort of just add another day yeah. to the debate. If 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 he if he doesn't go on. Then the question is, why doesn't he answer these charges? And he'll say, hey, I issued a statement. So mm-hmm. the, the, the one thing you don't want to do is uh, actually give it more oxygen uh, than it's going to get on its own. And, and, and voters are going to have a lot of time to think about this. Five weeks is an eternity in a campaign. And this is not going to go away anytime soon. But the last thing the Walker campaign should be doing is adding to it. Jeannie oh, points out they've got a debate coming up a couple of weeks. Is it the 14th, Jeannie? That's going to be wild. I believe it is, and it is scheduled. If it goes forward, it is going to be a sight to see. I believe it is the only debate that they have scheduled so Mm -hmm. far. So it is going to be no holds barred down there as as these two, you know, face off against each other. And voters get a chance to see them face to face and to hear how some of this is explained because the moderators are surely going to press him on this issue and many others. Check this out. This is the part of the Trump statement I didn't read. Interestingly, he writes, I've heard many horrible things about his opponent, Raphael Warnock, things that no one should be talking about, so we don't. Now, I don't know if he's implying that he takes the high road here, Rick, uh, but are we about to get an oppo dump on the Reverend? Well, I would be surprised that the state media hasn't already gotten an oppo dump on on the Reverend, and I'm sure that... Have you heard about what he's referring to? You know, look, there were there were these kinds of sort of whispers in the last campaign. Right. And the thing that people, you know, are probably going to start to figure out is Warnock's already had one vetting. Right. He's been through an entire campaign. Yeah. And 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 he made it out alive. And he's a United States senator. Herschel Walker hasn't had that vetting. Right. And so he's getting it right now. And. The reality is, uh, if I'm the campaign of Herschel Walker, I just stick to my message and start talking about, you know, the financial problems that the American public is having because of high inflation rates and not talking about black boxes that they're going to open and Pandora is going to come spilling out (laughs) all over Warnock. Right. Uh, Does does the Warnock campaign give Christian Walker a call, maybe do an event, Jeannie, or am I pushing it too far? I would not if I was them. I'd, you know, let, like he said, the pundits handle it. He focuses on the issues that he cares about, and there are many. It's only October 4th. How many surprises can we take? This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.